0: are you ready to take a bite out of the competition are you looking for ideas to make your business better welcome to the core business show with Tim J K. sponsored by Apple Capital Group. At the core of every successful business, you'll find people making a difference. And with each episode of The Core Business Show, we talk with those people, examine those ideas, and explore the strategies that make them special. Now, the host of The Core Business Show, Tim Jacquet. Well,
1: good morning, everybody, and welcome to another episode of The Core Business Show. Today, I have the pleasure of having Carl Warner we're going to talk about uh, several uh, movie projects he's been working on, uh, namely Dayton Hill Mars, a comedy web series. Uh, he's an independent producer and, and director and writer. If you want to call in, uh, call in at 347-324-3460, or you can pose a question in the chat room and we'll go ahead and read it on the air. Well, Carl, welcome to the show.
2: Thank you. How you doing?
1: Uh, great. Thank you for joining, uh, joining us today. I guess to begin with, kind of tell us about yourself, uh, uh well our listeners like to give personal stories, so just if you don't mind sharing this some
2: Yeah, sure. Well I'm a, I'm a Jersey I'm a Jersey boy. Uh born okay. in uh, Glenridge Glenridge, New Jersey, where uh Tom Cruise went to high school as a matter of fact. Uh oh, wow. but but pretty much uh lived in uh, Lake Hiawatha, moved to Verona and then eventually um went to high school in Livingston, New Jersey. Uh where I basically I wanted I was interested in becoming a writer. Uh, first,
0: mm-hmm.
2: and um, the problem was that uh, being a writer and working on my first sci-fi novel, I was spending more time, you know, at the typewriter than out with girls. So, so basically, uh, that that wasn't going to work for me. So, uh, so I got into actually I got into songwriting because it, it didn't require you know lengthy uh, you know pages of <laughs> of text you know in the novel. <laughs> so. <laughs> uh and, and I could write uh, you know two minute, three minute uh, short songs, you know. And and that might uh, get me some more girls that way <laughs> you know, in songwriting and singing to them and so forth. Uh which which became which worked out for me too, as a matter of fact as a songwriter. Uh and then um and then I got into filmmaking. Uh and then after that I became an actor. So it was kind of like that that's the order of things for me. A writer, songwriter, filmmaker and and then eventually an actor.
1: Okay, perfect. And, um go ahead.
2: Yeah, um uh, so I'm I'm basically just an ex- extremely creative person. Uh I guess it's in in the genes, I don't know. My my grandfather was a writer and and my father was was a bit of an entertainer. So it, it, that that's pretty much what I wanted wanted to be to be. Uh I wasn't very good in sports. Uh I wanted to be in soccer, football, baseball, baseball, basketball, none of those things were were any kind of physical activity like that. Just it just didn't work for me, so, so so I had to find some other outlet, you know. And it was the creative outlet that, that worked for me. And uh, basically, okay. I, I I started filmmaking because I watched some home movies of a friend of mine <laughs> that were shot on regular eight millimeter film. And and the the idea came: hey, why don't we shoot our own movies with with a story, you know, that sort of thing. And this is way back in the, in the early 70s, you know, uh, shooting in in uh, eight millimeter. Eventually, later uh, in the late 70s, uh, they came out with Super 8 sound cameras. Yeah, and uh, I started. I purchased probably the first Super 8 sound camera uh, in New York, and started shooting with this uh, Super 8 sound camera. And and bought some editing equipment and, and the projector as well. Of course, you had to buy the projector, the sound projector that uh, you know, in order for you to uh, to view and and hear the the film because there's a sound strip. You know, and and the, and the projector, of course, you know had had that ability to do that. So, so I got into filmmaking, uh, starting off as a super eight sound filmmaker, um, just kind of shooting films with no real story. Even though I'm a writer, I mean, I just thought, well, let's just wing it. Yeah, you, know, you know, for now, you know, <laughs> let's shoot this, uh, you know, let's shoot this anti-war film uh the unknown enemy i think it was called uh you know i had some uh you know some army clothes and i had some you know local kids you know playing soldiers and things like that and and, and you know we kind of shot this anti-war film uh in in the neighborhood with no real plot or story and we are just kind of winging it and you know that that's that's what happened but of course i realized eventually that you know what the most important thing in in a film or making a film is the story that's the number one thing and you've got to have the story and the script first before you start shoot, shooting anything, you know. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I mean, you, you just can't go winging it unless you're shooting a documentary or something, you know, <laughs> so, Well, you which know, I it's did. It's kind of
1: ironic. It's kind of ironic. I mean, to interrupt you, uh, I know you have to have an outline, but, you know, one of the best-known movies that I think they improvised the whole show was, <laughs> if you recall, Beverly Hills Cop. They said that we had a script, but Eddie didn't follow it. But he was so funny, and he kept things going. We just let it roll. Um, Yeah, well, that was one of the most successful movies in the '80s. Yeah,
2: yeah, that's comedy, though. I mean, I think with comedy, you can get away with it. Uh, I don't think you can get away with it in science fiction or dramas. You know, or serious subject matter, you know, I don't think you can get away with it, you know, unless you're shooting a documentary, as I mentioned earlier. But with comedy, I think you can get away with it. And as a matter of fact, with Dating on Mars, which is the the web series that I'm currently uh, shooting and and editing, it is a comedy. And the actors are required to do some improvisation. Uh, It's loosely scripted. So um, so as as you mentioned with the Eddie Murphy film, uh, much of it is like that uh you know you kind of like uh i mean there is a script of course there's an outline there's a script there's dialogue but you know I'm, i i allow the actors to to express themselves uh as, as actors and and do whatever comes to mind and if they come up with something funny uh, or funnier than what was written in the script then then by all means let's let's shoot it that way you
1: know so oh, wow.
2: so that 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 works for me although the the tv pilot that i shot uh, a few years ago uh future man which is based on a play that i wrote life with Nostradamus, back in 97 uh i i shot a tv pilot about a 20 minute tv pilot now that was totally scripted there was hardly any improvisation uh back then but this series this web series uh i do allow for for you know for the uh, improvisation because it just uh, makes it more fun, and, and there's there's opportunities for some great humor and funny funny moments because the actors are coming up with things that, that as I mentioned, are, are not in the script and, and are even funnier than, than what was written in the script. Well, well
1: tell, is it really difficult? How did your inspiration come to you?
2: Uh, it hits me like a brick. Wow. Um, It just strikes me all of a sudden. Um, I, I know that inspiration comes to people in different ways. I know that Paul McCartney, uh, you know, the Beatles, you know, uh, several of his, of his songs came in dreams. Like yesterday, it came to him in a dream. You know, and and uh, with me, it's just kind of like I'll take a nap and I'll just wake up suddenly, and it just hits me. It's like, wow, that's 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 the ending to the episode, or that's the that's the you know that's the plot, that's the story, that's the you know that's the concept. You know, and then you go with it. You know, you, you have the kind of the seed of you know of the story, an idea of it, or what you know, and then you just start to develop and work on it, and and uh, you know, to so a full-length feature or short, or in this case, a web series. You know. Wow. Uh, so I, I don't know any other way to explain it. You're know, like songwriting, the same thing. Where do songs come from? I mean, how do you you know where do, where do where do the melodies come from? Where do the lyrics come from? You know, what do you think, <laughs> how can you explain that? You know, do you think?
1: Yeah, in the course of all of that, that these things come to you in spurts. I mean, some people have all this built-up energy in them that can produce a whole portfolio of music within a short period of time. And then once that is gone, then uh, all of that creative energy is out of them. Now it's hard for them to go back and recreate what they had. So maybe we're born or we have in our subset – a certain amount of creativity or a portfolio of things, then from that moment, uh, maybe it's a three-year or five-year or seven-year span, and then all of a sudden, then our world changes and it's gone, and we struggle to catch up what we had in the past.
2: Yeah, and that leads to depression, basically. You know, I mean, then <laughs> then uh, then you just you're really depressed, and you don't know what to do with yourself, and you think you've Okay, I've, I've said everything. I wrote everything. I don't know what else to do. I, I don't. I hate to make this comparison, but maybe that's with uh, with Ernest Hemingway. Uh, maybe that that's what happened in his case. I, I don't know. I mean, I know he committed suicide, but was it because he just didn't have an, another creative thought after that? I, I don't know. I don't even want to talk about that. But you know, uh, I, I think it does lead to depression. There are people that are you know perhaps not able to to achieve or create something as creative let's say, as as their previous project or something they worked on that was very exciting and they felt very passionate about. And then all the passion and all that stuff is gone because, you know, it's like an empty well. There's just nothing there uh, that you can, uh, you know, work on or develop uh, because you're just out of ideas. But it'll come back to you. I mean, I don't think it goes away and it never comes back. I I think you you, you will find inspiration in in anywhere you, you look, whether you look at a magazine cover or a book, or or a TV show, or a movie, or or just walking around, uh, you know, observing people in places and, and doing things. You're gonna find inspiration, unless you're just living in a cave. I mean, if you're living in a cave, you know, then then what are you gonna do? You can draw, you know, you know, pictures of animals on the cave walls, you know, which is what they did back then. I mean, they had expressed themselves too, you know, back in the you know, in in those days you know but if you're living in a cave yeah then then it could be a problem but uh, but if you're out there in the world experiencing life and doing things and meeting people and and talking to people and and so forth you know you, you'll find inspiration sooner or later you're going to find it you know so there's hope you know for the struggling writer that you know that that uh, is out of ideas you know you, you'll you'll find something to write about
1: well does ideas normally come in uh in packages with uh if you exhaust I mean if you pull everything you, you have out of you, do you really need to partner at that point with somebody else to kinda of get that energy from them and they give you ideas and now yes. you begin to collaborate?
2: Yes, exactly. That that's uh, I'm glad you mentioned that because dating on Mars basically uh was not totally created by myself, even though I pretty much created the outline for the, for the series of uh, 14 episodes or webisodes,
0: uh, I
2: created the outline, you know, act one, act two, and act three. And I had some kind of an ending, although it is a cliffhanger ending. So basically, it ends, but uh, uh, episode 14 ends on a cliffhanger. So basically, what happens after this character or these characters, who knows? Uh, but during the whole Create a process of, of writing it. I, I do have a, an actor friend of mine, Martin Pfefferkorn, who is also involved in the project as an actor and a co-director. He is my collaborator, and he's the one that comes up with some of the funny, funnier <laughs> or funny, funny stuff that we add to to the scenes that are not in the script. And uh, he's a professional actor. He's a character actor. He's been in a lot of major films and independent films, and uh, he's been a, a, a great help and, and a great collaborator. On the project, and it's great to collaborate. Believe me, I mean, you know, look at Lennon McCartney. I mean, <laughs> you know, I mean, there's a great collaboration right there, uh, you know, songwriting collaboration. So it's always good to collaborate. Uh, the problem is that do you, you know, are there people that want to collaborate with you? Because a lot of writers, you know, they're, they've got egos, uh, you know, and it's like, mm-hmm. no, 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 I want to write my own novel. I no, I want it to be just my name, you know, no one else, you know, you know, they just want to take all the credit. Um, you know, and you may not find a collaborator with with many of your projects because they they're too busy with their own, you know, uh, stories to tell. But but in this case, it's I'm I'm grateful and happy to have Martin Fevercorn as a collaborator on this project.
1: Well, we're going to take a break for a moment, and then come back and talk more about your movie. We'll be back in a moment with Carl Warner. <laughs>
0: Thanks. You're listening to the Core Business Show. Sponsored by Apple Capital Group. Apple Capital Group in Jacksonville, Florida is a commercial lender that specializes in asset based loans, equipment leasing and financing, invoice financing, commercial real estate loans, and asset based financing in the U.S. and Canada. Apple Capital Group is a direct lender that lends on their private equity investment portfolio. 90% of most loans are decided within two hours and vendor funding within 24 hours after documents are completed with a one-page application. No slow no's, just a quick decision and a fast yes. To get more information about lending from Apple Capital Group, call 866-611-7457. That's 866-611-7457 to speak with one of our loan specialists. Or visit us right now at applecapitalgroup.com. Welcome back to the core. Once again, here's Tim Jutten.
1: Again, we're with Carl Warner, uh, independent film director and producer and writer. Uh, Carl, if a person looking at coming into this particular industry, what advice will you give them?
2: Uh, what advice? Uh, go out and shoot it. No matter what, whatever you got to do, whatever it takes, go out and do it. Grab the bull by the horns. And do it, regardless of, you know, lack of financing uh, or lack of uh, cooperation from people. You know, uh, if you have a vision, then go out and do it yourself, if if you have to. And in most cases, you do. Uh, Because who else is going to do it? You know, I mean, do you have Paramount Pictures behind you? Do you have uh, Fox TV behind you on the project? Chances are no. (laughs) You know, know, so you have to go out and, and make it happen. Uh, in, in which case, what is what I've i done in this case, uh, I, I produced, uh, produced, directed, and wrote uh, a TV pilot, shot it myself. I, of course, I hired a cameraman and an editor, uh, but I hired the people to complete the project myself. Um, and I have to go out and promote it, too. In this day and age, you wear all the hats. Okay, let's face it. Okay. You wear all the hats because who's going to do it for you except you? I mean, I went to a, a music uh, ASCAP, uh, I create music uh, expo in, in Hollywood a few years ago, and and at one of the seminars, uh, a, a you know kid stood up, young teenager, yeah, I'm a songwriter, you know, I've been writing these songs, but you know what, I, I, I don't have enough time to write songs because I'm I'm out there promoting it myself. I mean, and I, I don't have much time to write any more songs. You know, what do I do? What do, I do? You know, and it's like, well, unless you got, you know you know, Capitol Records or, you know, Sony Records or whatever company behind you, you know, to promote and market your music, you've got to do it yourself, unfortunately. So, as I said, you're wearing all the hats. You're, you're, going, you're out there, you're shooting, you're directing, and you've got to promote it yourself. I think a lot of filmmakers, the problem with filmmakers is they, they create, they produce these films, but they don't take the next step to go out and really promote it. I mean, go out and do all these interviews. You know, go out and interviews, radio interviews, TV, whatever you can do to promote your your film. Because if you don't do that, you're a tree among other trees in the forest. I mean, you, how, how are you going to stand out? You know, how are you going to get grab attention to people that, you know, if you want to get their attention, you know, you're going to have to have some marketing or promoting, you know, strategies to make that happen, you know. And
0: mm-hmm. that's...
2: That's basically all I can say about it. I, you know, there's no, there's no, uh, you know, miracle cure or anything, or any, you know, incredible magic way to make your film, you know, an Academy Award-winning, you know, film. You know, unless uh, you, you got to start yourself and and make it happen yourself, and then do as much as you can. And if you have to hire someone, you know, to help promote it or market it. Uh, especially using the internet, uh, bloggers, you know, getting on blogs, uh, blog um, sites, or get, getting bloggers interested in your in your project, in your film. Maybe have them review your film, you know, in their blogs. Uh, go on blog talk radio, I'm like like okay, I am now. <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. I mean, do do whatever because take advantage of the internet because. Fox TV and Paramount Pictures ain't doing it for you, okay? <laughs> They're not doing that for you. You have to go out and do it yourself. As an independent filmmaker, you have to wear all the hats, you know? <laughs> well, do you think
1: it's a like, lot easier today uh, to make a film? Uh, I mean, reality is really, really big. What, what is your your comments regarding reality TV? I mean, it's really taken over the airwaves.
2: Okay, my comments about it, I really don't want to comment too much about it. Uh, except for the fact that we can, we can blame the writer's strike many, many years ago when they had the writer's strike in Hollywood, when many of the writers were striking because they weren't making enough money or getting enough money for their, you know, writing talents, you know, for episodic television and dramas and comedies, they went on strike. Mm -hmm. But television had to keep the entertainment going, you know, (laughs) so, Hey, we still have to entertain people, but the writers aren't strike. What do we do now? So they came up with reality TV. MTV, I think, is probably responsible for that, really. You know, MTV started... Music television became what it is now. It's, it's no longer music television. Uh, but I think MTV is the blame for, for reality TV shows. You know, uh, starting the whole thing, uh, you know, the whole trend of, of uh, you know, getting people together, you know, in a room or or, or, or at the seashore, like the sea, You know, Seaside Heights, like Jersey Shore and so forth. Uh, getting together and and doing the most outrageous over-the-top things you can imagine and believe me it's manipulated by the producers they're they're not just you know hanging out and i mean you know the producers are manipulating them i mean they're they're telling what to do and shooting it and editing it in a certain way uh to make it entertaining uh and you know that that's what that's all about and and i don't know i mean why people are attracted to that you know look look the that show, Jersey Shores lasted, I think, about six or seven seasons now. And uh, so did uh, Mayberry, you know, the show uh, from the 60, early '60s. Uh, that about, RFD. Yeah, yeah, the show, uh, yeah, from from the early '60s. That that lasted about six, six even six seasons. And and you know, and that was that was you know, a great show, very positive, fun, you know, loving people, people loving each other, and all that great stuff in the small town of Mayberry. Uh and then you have today you have Jersey Shore. You know, where people are you know showing off their their tummies and their cleavage and acting like, you know, crazy people. So <laughs> I don't know what the point of that is, but people just want to be entertained. But but the thing is I think that it Jersey Shore appeals to a certain demographics, though. I think it only appeals to, you know, 14 to 28 or something like that, college kids, younger teenagers. I don't think Jersey Shore appeals to adults, uh, you know, because I don't think they're, you know, happy to see, you know, people behave like that, you know, at the shore (laughs) in New Jersey. (laughs) I mean, I think they're like, wait a minute, I live in Seaside Heights, I live at the Jersey Shore, and I don't know any of these people. <laughs>
1: you know? uh, but, you know. Well, play play played devil, devil's advocate. Um, and being a young producer coming up through this uh, particular genre, I mean, you have a lot more opportunities from digital uh, that's less expensive to shoot. Can a person, in the sense of not making a reality show, try to make a show, but don't have the high-end equipment, but can pull something together like uh, Spike Lee did in the 80s when he did that one, uh, she has to have it, and with almost no money, but he, he somehow he pulled it together to get something out of it. it. Took him some time to do it, but he got it. Uh, For a person coming through the system today, uh, with all of the technology we have today, is a little easier to get something produced, you just, and also to get something distributed, because you can be a web series in itself, you just have to promote it.
2: Yes. Uh, To answer that question, i say a big yes, because because, uh, when I started out, as I mentioned earlier, I started out as a Super 8 filmmaker, and shooting on Super 8. Mm -hmm. Super 8 ain't going to cut it, you know, in today's world, you know, when you're (laughs) trying to present something to people, you know. Yeah, I shot this on Super 8 sound. Uh, take a look at it. It's a, it's, a, it's a pilot or a movie, you know, whatever. Uh, the the thing was, I started with Super 8 sound. I never really got into 16 millimeter or Super 16, uh, which is pretty much, I guess, the the standard for for many student films and, and indie films uh, shooting on 16 millimeter. Uh, I just didn't. I didn't go that far. Uh, eventually, I became a wedding videographer, and the great thing about it is i got paid to shoot you know you know shoot weddings uh i wasn't getting paid to make movies uh, but i was getting paid to shoot weddings and i did that for about seven years with my own business using you know the state-of-the-art uh camera equipment that they had at the time um so I, for seven years i was shooting wedding videos uh but being very frustrated because it's like okay yeah, I'm shooting their their wedding video. I'm editing them, and I'm doing the best I can to make it look great and all this kind of stuff. I'm getting paid to do it, but I'm not making my own movies, <laughs> you know. And it was extremely frustrating. It uh, then I went to a convention in Las Vegas, a Weva convention, it's the Wedding Events Videography Association. When I went to this the second convention they had, or at least the one I went to in Las Vegas at bally's um they presented panasonic presented a new video camera that shoots 24 frames per second and i saw what it did in, in a demo or a video that they showed like a, a trailer and i my mouth was wide open i said oh my god this looks like 35 millimeter film it doesn't look like video it doesn't look like you know dark shadows and soap operas you know? shot on video this looks like motion picture film stock you know like it was shot on film and that turned me around right away I said well this is the future of filmmaking when Panasonic came out with this camera and of course you had to purchase the additional software uh, editing software to make it look that way you know with, with certain filters whatever to make it look like film that blew me away and I said now I now I can make my movie now I can make my TV pilot. Now I can do whatever I want you know, as far as making films, because now we have a camera that can accomplish that. We have the te- we have the technology. Now we can go out and do it. You know? <laughs> so so yeah, uh, with with all these cameras that are out now, you know, uh, shooting in high definition, twenty four frames per second, that that kind of thing, you can make your film, feature length, short, web series, whatever. You can make it look as professional as the big guys, you know. Um, and there, you know, some other cameras like the Red camera, um, you know, that that is one of the best cameras for for uh, shooting films now. But what's great is that these cameras can can handle low light filming. So you don't need those big bright lights they use in Hollywood when they make those movies, you know, <laughs> to shoot in a, you know an interior scene because the film the cameras handle very well in low light situations. So. You don't have to worry about lighting as much, you know, uh, to create the desired image or effect or whatever. Uh, so these cameras are, are greatly improving all the time uh, for, for filmmakers like us. So we can make our film look as just as good as, as Hollywood films, you know. And getting back to the what? Spike Lee thing, uh, mm-hmm. that film that you mentioned was, was shot in black and white, um, mostly. It was one brief color scene, but... I, I know the film you're talking about. Can you imagine how tough it must have been for Spike Lee? I mean, he's an African American filmmaker, you know, and and Hollywood is pretty much predominantly, you know, it's predominantly white, you know, guys, you know, <laughs> making movies mm-hmm. there, you know, <laughs> you know, and and here he is breaking into the into the industry, which is which is fantastic, making this film, which is which is actually one of my favorite Spike Lee movies, is his first film, uh, but he shot it very low budget. You know what? That's the way to go. Shoot it low budget because what are they gonna give you? They give you you know, twenty million dollars and okay, now I can do it the way I wanna do it. That's not how reality works. I mean if you're gonna start on a project you're not gonna be given twenty million dollars to make a movie. You're gonna start, you know, low budget. And if you can accomplish it and tell your story and shoot it nice, make it look nice and sound is good and all that great stuff, you know, you don't need twenty million dollars to make your, you know, short film. Psycho, Alfred Hitchcock's film, was shot under a million dollars. It cost under a million dollars yeah. to film, you know, to shoot that film. It is a brilliant, absolutely brilliant horror film. And it's all in the storytelling and in the editing. That's what makes it work. And it cost them less than a million dollars to shoot. You know? So think about well, why it.
0: Why does you know? it <laughs> cost
1: millions of dot mean twenty, fifty, a hundred million dollars? To shoot the movie, what?
0: Why okay. the cost
1: is so high?
2: I'll tell you why. Why? Two two reasons. One, who are you hiring as the actor to play in it? You getting Tom Cruise? Are you getting you know Nicole Kidman? Are you getting Jack Nicholson? Are you getting uh, Robert De Niro? I mean, <laughs> I mean, if you're getting these big big money stars, I mean, Tom Cruise is the highest paid actor, I believe, right now. And then you have uh, Adam Sandler, <laughs> you know. And, uh, you know, a few other guys uh, who are getting big bucks, you know, for their movies. Uh, But if you're going to hire these high, you know, actors demanding high salaries, that's where a lot of your budget is going to, okay? The other thing is the special effects. If you're doing a lot of CGI, computer graphic, you know, manipulating on a computer, you know, all the special effects that that you, you might need for your film there there goes a lot of your budget right there because if you're going to be working with you know industrial light and magic you know George Lucas place you know <laughs> you're spending a ton you know on just the special effects you know mm-hmm. and then and then there's the marketing once it's all done then they're spending a few more million or well, more you know millions of dollars marketing it posters trailers uh, all kinds of you know marketing gimmicks to sell the film or whatever they got to do you know to to promote it, you know, you go you, you go to Manhattan, you see a huge poster, a huge poster of your movie. Of course, I mean, you know, you got Paramount Pictures or something, you know, back, you know, paying for the you know to promote it. So you know, but the but the thing is, yeah, you spent a lot of money making it, but you better get that money back, <laughs> you know, and hope that it's a blockbuster, you know. Because there's some but You some know, films, the, the higher the know, cost.
1: Yeah, but the higher the cost, it, it's you know is less return you're going to get.
2: Yeah, exactly. So, I w- my advice would be this. Make your film low budget or keep it within the budget that you're working with. If if you give if you have a certain amount of money, even if it's like 20,000 or whatever. Stick to that budget and work within that budget because the point is that you want to make it cheaply so that you can make money from it when it has some success. You know, whether whether it's uh, you know, Through distribution or uh, festivals, you know, uh, if you're getting some recognition at festivals and things like that. But if you can make a cheap film and it looks great and it's a great story and all that kind of stuff, uh, you know, there you go. I mean, make a cheap movie that makes tons of money. Perfect example is Blair Witch. You know, that film with a lot of shaky camera work, you know, a bunch of kids going around (laughs) looking for the Blair Witch, you know. Right?
1: Yeah, you know totally.
2: I saw the film and I almost threw up because the camera was shaking so much. Um, but you know what? How much did it cost them to make that film and how much did it gross in at the box office? Millions and millions of dollars and how much they it you know, it cost them to make it, you know. What, twenty thousand? I don't know. You, know. you know. And it's like Hollywood takes notice of this. You know. They notice that and go, Hey, look, he made this cheap film, and it's making it's making a lot of money. That's where you're gonna get some recognition in the, in the why United. is
1: it always far in between I mean to interrupt you that we have good projects like that that works is this Hollywood just don't know what to look for
2: Hollywood is always looking for something uh, unfortunately they're looking in the wrong places you know it's so like like the song looking for love in all the wrong places you know um, maybe they're not looking in the right places uh, they're, 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 they're more traditional, perhaps, in, in uh, when, when, when it comes to scripts and screenplays. I mean, they're, they're going through agents, and looking at screenplays. Well, what about the independent screenplay writer that doesn't have an agent? What is he going to do? What, is he, what if he's got a killer script, but he doesn't have an agent? So it's not going to get to some guy at Paramount or, or a 20th Century Fox because he doesn't have an agent. So, you know, so they need to look further out, you know, and to find, you know, the good scripts out there, rather than rely on agents who are just supplying the scripts for them to look at, you know, and chances are, well, Hollywood is playing it safe by just doing remakes, you know, they're just remaking, uh, you know, films that have been, you know, made before and remaking them, you know, taking of Pelham one, two, three, that's a remake, Uh, you name it, I could list goes on. I mean, there's just so many films. And then, of course, the comic book characters like Spider-Man, Oh, Batman. Yeah. I mean, those are the ones that are making big bucks for the for the studios because because we've already established these characters a long time ago in the comic books. You know? So so we know all about these characters and and you know and it's already got an audience. It's you know uh, mostly teenagers, but you know uh, it's already got an audience. So so they know that they're making big bucks with with comic book characters on on the big screen and they can do it now because of CGI. Before CGI, you couldn't create all these incredible effects like for Spider-Man and Batman and Superman and all that kind of stuff. You couldn't do that, you know, uh, 20, 30, 40, 50 years ago. I mean, you know, now with computer graphics, you can do anything, you know. So, of course, Hollywood's going to jump on, on the the bandwagon with uh, superhero movies, you know, the Avengers yeah. and all those films, you know.
1: Yeah, the re- uh, how many times are you going to make remakes Batman and Spider-Man, I mean...
2: Well, well like, uh, yeah. a lot of times they call it reimagining. You know, They, re- they reimagine okay. it. You know, I think the new, the, new, new, the new Amazing Spider-Man, which I think it's called the Amazing Spider-Man, has been sort of reimagined. So it's not the old Spider-Man from a few years ago. <laughs> it's like the new Spider-Man, but reimagined.
1: It still looks so, the same to me.
2: <laughs> <laughs> so, so it's like, ooh, it's, it's, it's better now. But it, it still comes down to the story. You know I mean, if you've got a really good script, really good story and good characters uh, I don't care how many special effects you got you know special effects, great, sure, wonderful, but you still gotta have a good story you know and and good characters and and good dialogue, you know
1: well, let's back up for a second back to your project um uh you have a live theater experience, a lot of film experience, a playwright, recordings i mean, and it goes on and on. Tell us about this this uh, Dating on Mars movie okay. and where can uh, it be, uh, where can it be found.
2: Dating on Mars is a web series comedy in, uh, presented in uh, 14 webisodes. I guess that's the term they use now, webisodes. Short webisodes. Basically, they're only about anywhere from seven to nine minutes in length. Um, and... I thought this this was very appealing to me, presenting something broken up into short episodes, with possibly a cliffhanger after after each episode, much like Flash Gordon, uh, the serial Flash Gordon. I think it came out in 19, 1936. I think is when Flash Gordon came out, and they showed these serials, these short uh, 13 episodes of Flash Gordon in, in the movie on you know, the movie theaters that That was great as a kid watching it not in the movie theaters because I was too you know I wasn't even born then, but when I started watching them on television, I saw the the flash Gordon you know, black and white flash Gordon episodes short episodes leading up to a cliffhanger. I thought about that when I worked on dating on mars i said hey that's that's the way i'll construct this project uh not as a feature film, not as a short but as a as a web series in 14 short webisodes building up to to a uh, some type of cliffhanger. And the inspiration also came from not only Flash Gordon, it also came from Rich Man, Poor Man, the series on, on television based on the book, Thorn Birds, uh, you know, all those shows, I think in the 70s, where, where they were based on mm-hmm. novels, you know, and then they made them into this, you know, uh, you know, one one episode of you know rich man poor man, and you have to follow the story in in order to find out what happens to these characters. And that's 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 it right there. It's like you've got to create interesting characters and an interesting story so that you want to follow this story. much like a soap opera, you want to follow it to the end. You want to find out what happens in the end if you haven't read the book. So it's kind of like, you know, rich man poor man, the Thornbirds, Birds, uh, Shogun. A lot of those shows were in the 70s. I watched those and I watched them from beginning to end because I wanted to find out what happens to these characters. So, dating on Mars is kind of the same thing. There is a story, you know, we introduce the characters and you have to follow the story. It's not just a lot of silly comedy where they're just, you know, making funny noises and doing outrageous things and over the top stuff like that. You know, and you're putting on makeup, and you know, and and that's about it. And you know, or sitting on a couch, and you know, and and belching. It's it's not just that. There there's 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 a story that you need to follow to find out what happens to the to these characters. And
0: uh,
2: I can tell you the origins of, of dating on Mars. Basically, I was working on two scripts. One was a play called The Horrors of Internet Dating. And that was a play I was working on, because I was recently divorced, and I was starting to date again, and I discovered this wonderful world of internet dating, and all these dating <laughs> sites, and <laughs> the wonderful world of internet dating. And to my horror, <laughs> you know, I found out it's not what it all, all cracked up to be, you know, with, with some of these so-called people who, you know, represent themselves, you know, with, with photos that are, you know, 20 years old or whatever, and you meet them, and they're not nothing, nothing like their photo, <laughs> you know, or... Or their personality is just like oh boy, you know uh, nothing like their profile, you know. Uh, so I, I wanted to to write a play about that experience because you write what you know, you know, and and that's what I wanted mm-hmm. to do. And what you don't know, you make up, you know. So <clears throat> so a lot of um, a lot of dating on Mars are, are my dating experiences. Then I was working on a screenplay, my first screenplay called. It's a working title. Um, Hot alien babes from outer space. Now this was supposed to be, you know, kind of like a parody, or just kind of like a, you know, a, a film about, you know, attractive women that come to Earth looking for a few good men, you know, to to mate with, you know, because because they have problems on their planet with the men because they can't, you know, they can't reproduce. They they you know their the sperm is just no good. They're shooting blanks over there. So. So they're, they're looking for, 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 for uh, you know, uh, so it was a comedy. Uh, but the other thing about the script was that I was hoping to incorporate all these things that, that I grew up with watching science fiction films. So there's, there's scenes like moments like 2001 A Space Odyssey are in there. Forbidden Planet is in there. Uh, you know, Star Trek is in there. Star Wars is in there. All these references to famous science fiction stories would be mentioned in the screenplay. In, in in some of the scenes, and not only just science fiction, but other films as well. You know, famous films, where there will be scenes where you, where you watch them. Any film critic can watch and go, Oh, I know what this is from. You know, what movie this is from. So you know, it's kind of like that's the little, you know, added ingredient uh, was mm-hmm. was interjecting famous movies into the into the scenes or plot or whatever. And and it's up to the the, the you know the film film filmmaking expert to pick them out and say, oh, I know what that's from and I know what that's from, you know, it's all in the script. Well, I never really totally completed that screenplay and one of the reasons was because I don't have an agent, as I mentioned earlier. I don't have an agent, so how am I going to shop this around in Hollywood? <laughs> you know, so, forget about it. <laughs> you know, so, so, I took a lot of stuff from that screenplay, Hot Alien Base from Outer Space, and combined it with the, the stage play uh the horrors of internet dating, and putting them two together, and I got dating on Mars. So basically, you know, uh, it, it it is about uh, a divorced and unemployed astronaut starting to date again, and that's as much as I want to say about it. <laughs> you know, okay. Of course, that's, that's fine the story because because you know why Tim is because one of the great we want the thrills. Yeah, I mean, when I saw Star Wars for the first time, I saw no preview, I saw no trailer, I saw a poster, that's it. When I saw it on the big screen when it first came out, it blew me away. It's like, wow, I've never seen the same thing with Alien when Alien came out. I knew nothing about the story, I didn't see any trailer, I didn't see anything on the internet, you know, millions of things written about it on the internet that's before the internet. I didn't know anything about it, so when I went to the theater on the big screen, 70 millimeter, whatever, it blew me away because I knew nothing about it and saw nothing, you know, no scenes or trailers, anything. And I think that's the way you should see movies. Nowadays, you have the internet, and everybody knows about the film already. They've seen scenes from it. They've seen the trailer. They've seen six trailers from it. They, they you know, they they pretty much almost know the entire plot. Well, don't see it. Well, why bother seeing it then? You know, because you know already about it. So, So, you know, the whole... Excitement of seeing a movie for the first time is totally shot because it's like you already know what happens, you know. But fortunately, wow. most direct writer directors are smart enough not to reveal much of anything in the film. I, I, what's annoying is we have these, you know, these Hollywood interviewers. You know, they go, "So, uh, can you tell us a little about the movie? Yeah, this guy meets this girl and they fall in love. Anything else? Uh, no, that's about it. That's why it. should I tell you any? Why should I tell you any more about it? <laughs>
1: you know? Absolutely." I mean, Paul, we got uh, we have a few seconds uh, remaining. Uh anything you like to add uh regarding your company and how can we contact you if we want to take a look at this web series?
2: Okay, uh the web series uh, dating right now there's only a trailer available. Uh there is a trailer, yes, <laughs> you know, so you have some idea what it's about. Uh just go to YouTube uh and type okay. in uh, in the search in the search engine uh you know, dating on Mars uh official trailer. And you get a chance to see uh, the trailer uh, and get a, get a glimpse. It's, it's quirky. It's kind of like uh, Monty Python ish. You know, it's it's mm-hmm. uh, you know, it's got some some of that humor. It's uh, it's un- hopefully unpredictable. So you don't know where things are going with the characters or their situations, which is another key thing when you're writing a screenplay. Be unpredictable. Don't be predictable. You know where where this character's going or what he's doing. You know, create something that totally changes everything, because that makes it more interesting. So, you know, and uh, but you can see the trailer on, on YouTube, and the series will be coming out uh, probably on some U- YouTube channel or maybe some other web-based, you know, channels that that, that feature uh web series. And uh, we're going to have a special sneak preview episode available in, in the next few weeks. And what I mean by that is it's episode four, much like Star Wars. <laughs> Episode four of the series will start, and then it, after that, we'll start to be, you know, feature them one episode at a time, starting with episode one. Wow, and, uh, that, and that's about as you know, as far as where where it's going to wind up. Tim, I couldn't tell you, you know, because there's so much out there now. You know, there's mydamnchannel.com. dot <laughs> com. You know, there, there's the YouTube channel. I mean, Google is now Google, I think, purchased YouTube. So now, and and also the you know Amazon Studios, uh, they're looking for new. New stuff, new TV shows, pilots, movies, whatever. Once a month, they select some, you know, some new stuff uh, to present, you know, and and you make okay. some money from it. You make some money from it. That's the most important thing. You're making money from it too. Not just, you know, it's not just a hobby. You know, <laughs> I mean, you can make money from this.
1: Good. So, where's your your website address again?
2: Uh, well, the website hasn't been established yet. Uh, okay. Until we start, you know, getting a, it probably would be dating on Mars. Uh, dot com.
1: Okay. uh you for your company, it's it's if they want to uh, locate you to get more information. Uh,
2: well, I'm on Facebook right now. Uh, I haven't really established any web. Unfortunately, I mean, you know, I haven't really have established any website that people can go to directly to see my work. Okay. Uh, you can go to Vimeo. You can go to uh, look at some clips on on uh, YouTube on Vimeo. If you go to Vimeo, you can if you uh, type in Future Man. Uh, you'll see the actual TV pilot of Future Man that I shot a few years ago. You'll see that on there uh, as well. So
1: you'll okay. see some
2: of the you know the work that I've done. Uh, but I'm hoping to put all of that together in, in, in a form of a website that people can go to, uh, you know, eventually, soon.
1: <laughs> right. Well, thank you for coming on the program, Carl. I really appreciate it. Sure, Thank no you problem. so much. Thanks. Okay, great. Take care. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Well, again, it's been another production of The Core Business Show. Thank you for listening, and everybody have a great day.
0: Thank you for listening to The Core Business Show with Tim Jacquet. For more information about equipment financing and asset-based loans, visit our website, applecapitalgroup.com. That's applecapitalgroup.com. Or call us at 866-611-7457. We hope you'll join us for our next episode. And remember, you can always get to The Core via iTunes. You'll find all our previous episodes there. And thanks again for listening to The Core Business Show with Tim Jacquet.